Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see your lovely faces full of, thank you, <laughs> full of the grace of God, full, full of the love of God. It's good to be in his goodness, isn't it? Who else is glad that God is good? Because I am really glad that God is good. And we live in that reality every single day. Praise the Lord. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking, as, as Will said, from our Faith, Hope and Love series. If you can just put the next slide up, guys. I only have one slide this morning. There we go. That's it. I'd like to talk this morning about faith, hope and love being a cord of three strands. And some of you may um, recognise this verse in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 which says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And it's often used as a picture of marriage, as a husband and a wife, and God being in the centre of the marriage and being the cement and the glue of the marriage for God's people. But I believe that picture also carries across to faith, hope and love. Because I believe that faith, hope and love is a cord of three strands that work together. And what I'd like to do this morning is start to look a little bit more at each one of those, because we've looked at them so far, but I'd like to build a little bit on the definitions that we've already looked at together. And then I'd like to look at how those three things work together in our lives. And I want to get really practical this morning, and I believe that God is going to speak to you this morning. Do you believe God's going to speak to you this morning? I wasn't looking for a vocal response there. I was just asking you to consider that because we often hear that, but sometimes we don't consider it really for ourselves. God has got something to say to you this morning. In fact, he's got more than one thing to say to you and it's going to bless you this morning. It's going to strengthen you and it's going to give you life. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. That's at the end of the go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Then you've got Thessalonians, Timothy, for those that... It's a very little book, so sometimes it's difficult to find. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. Well, let's start in verse 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly remembering you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read that again. Just listen to this again. Just in verse 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God our Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostle is there describing these three wonderful things that we're looking at, faith, hope, and love, and how the three of them are evident at work in the lives of the Thessalonians. In fact, the theologian John Calvin described this. He said, this verse is a brief definition of Christianity. This sums up the Christian walk. Work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to start with faith. So I'm hoping most of you will have been here for the, our Momentum weekend, and Roger and Diane Aubrey came, and they taught us wonderfully. And one of the things that was a takeaway for me was Roger's definition of faith. Does anyone else remember that? Roger defined faith 
to be convinced of something that somebody told you. It's nice and simple, isn't it? Faith is to be convinced of something that somebody told you. And it comes to us, he said, by hearing. And when we say we're hearing, so faith, of, faith comes to us by hearing, it's through hearing and then choosing to commit 100% to what someone said. So if I said to Pete, Pete comes and says something to me, I believe what you've said, Pete. I'm receiving it. And I believe it so much that I'm committing to it 100%. That's faith. That's, that's our core definition of faith. But we need to build on that a little and say, well, it's, it's not just that. That's the beginning of it. But faith is obviously a lot more than that. So if you just go with me to one Roman, uh, sorry, one, it's the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter one. And this is a verse I suspect you will know well also. We're going to go to verse 16 and 17. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Those of you that have got an NLT, the NLT has a really good rendering of this. It says this, verse 17 says, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It's through faith that a righteous person has life. So our core definition of faith is believing what someone has said 100% receiving it and committing to it. But here, Paul is saying, it's more than that. It's actually how the righteous live. The righteous live by faith. And what we have to understand about faith is that it's not just believing what someone has said, but actually faith is the way that we relate to God. You see, if it was just about believing what someone had said, that is actually a transaction that's taken place. If, Pete, you told me something, I believed it. There's a transaction of ideas or thoughts that has taken place. But actually, that's just a one-off thing. Whereas actually, to live by faith is relational. In other words, it's a relationship of faith, not just a transaction of faith, not just a one-off thing. Faith is about our relationship with God. And in essence, it means completely trusting anything he says about us or anything else. And then living our lives based on everything he says about us and everything else in this world. And that leads to a way of life whereby everything that we rely upon comes to us by faith. Everything that we believe comes to us by faith. So how we are different from those around us is that we rely on things that come to us by faith, not things that come to us in the natural things that are just around us that anyone can see. Faith is about our relationship with God. In fact, it's the only way to relate to God. The writer to the Hebrews says we understand that the world was created. By faith, we understand. In chapter 11, that great chapter on faith, the writer to the Hebrews says the only way to please God is by faith. Because we need faith to know that God exists. Because we can't see him. 
If I could see him with my eyes, I wouldn't need faith to believe in him. So because God is unseen, we need faith to be able to relate to him. And in that relating to him builds a trustful rest. And to be in faith and to grow in faith for each of us is that our our lives are marked by a trustful rest. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that we never get out of sorts. I don't mean that we never get any worried about things. I don't mean that we're never unsettled. But what it means is that when those things come along, there is the rest of faith that comes and just brings the peace of God. The reason why is because we know him. We, are related, we have a relationship with him so that whatever happens in this life, we have him. And he's, he's the factor that trumps everything else. Whatever else I'm facing, I have him. And I know that we have all faced things in our lives where that is the only thing sometimes that keeps us going. Because we can't see anything else. All we can see is him. And he will always be there and faithful. It also helps us to understand how God works. Because faith is about understanding what's happening, but not from the natural world, but from the unseen, the supernatural realm. So faith enables us to look into the unseen realm and to see realities that have taken place there that can impact what we see around us. But we have to be able to look into the unseen realm. Hebrews 11 verse 1, which is the famous definition of faith. I love the the last bit of that verse in the Amplified. It says this, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Let's listen to that again. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be comprehended with the physical senses. So anything that we receive by faith, it cannot come via our physical senses. There's another sense. There's a spiritual sense. And that's how we receive things by faith. And in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, if you just go back to that verse, just want to keep referring back to this. 1 Thessalonians 1 3, we've got this great partnership of these three wonderful things, faith, love and hope. And this description is your work of faith. Your work of faith. And the word that Paul uses there is a Greek word, ergon, which actually means work or business or enterprise. In other words, he's talking about a profession. And what he's saying is, this is our profession. This is our work. Faith is our work. Whatever your vocation is, ultimately, as a believer, your vocation is faith. That's how we live. And we have to understand that this is the family business, is faith. Our faith needs to be relational and not transactional. Let me explain that a bit more. Coming back to our core definition, I can believe something somebody told me and then commit to it 100%, but that doesn't form a relationship. What forms a relationship is over time that taking place again and again and again so that a trust builds in the one who's believing. And that's relational faith. The problem is if we have transactional faith, then effectively we're summoning up faith for a particular thing, 
at a particular time. When I need something, then I'll believe for it. That's transactional. That's just when I need something. Relational faith means, no, I'm constantly trusting and believing. So that when I do need something, I don't need to summon anything up. I know the Lord. I know that he's for me. I know that he's with me. I know that he's promised to provide for me. I've read Psalm 34 and all the good things. And God telling me, it's good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But that comes from that foundation of relational faith. Every day trusting him. It's like breathing. We don't think about it, do we? In fact, if you think about breathing, you get into a little bit of a panic. Have you ever done that? (laughs) When someone says to you, if you stop breathing right now, it's all over. And you think, (gasps) or your heart beating. You don't think about it. It just goes on all the time. There's no need to panic about it. But our faith is the same. It goes on in the background all the time. And that trust in the Lord, that's how it builds. It doesn't build only at the points where there's a problem, where there's a challenge and where faith is needed for the problem. When we don't build our relationship with the Lord, if we come to that point, we're lacking in faith. And then we have to scramble around. We have to build faith. We need faith. But actually, faith should be building every day in our lives. It should be growing as we grow so that we have an implicit trust. And it doesn't mean we can't be out of sorts, but it means that ultimately that peace will always come in because we know him and we have grown to know him more and more as we've grown in him now the second thing is love let me give you a a, a core definition of love when I was thinking about this love is really difficult to define isn't it it's so broad so broad I think where to start with love is God himself so look at the father the son and the holy spirit Um, We get glimpses of this relationship. I don't really understand it. I don't really understand why he's three, yet one. I don't understand any of that. But what I do see is this harmonious, beautiful relationship, a working relationship between these three persons who is God. And we know that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and they love the Spirit. They love each other. And that love is perfect. Perfect love. And we get glimpses when Jesus is... Um, in John 17, we get the high, what's called the great high priestly prayer, when Jesus is praying for the church and he's contemplating what's coming. And he talks to the Father about this relationship that they have and this love they share. And he, and he says, and I, I want them to be one just as we are one. I want them to share the glory that you and I had before the world began. And we get this, this glimpse of this wonderful, glorious love. God loves himself. You know, the theologian Karl Barth said that God's love is complete and doesn't need anything else. In other words, God didn't need to create us to be fulfilled in his love. That might come as a shock to you. We were not needed in order for God to be fulfilled. God was content with himself, but chose to create us. Even if God had not created us, even if he'd not redeemed us, he would not be lacking in love at all. God's love is total and it's complete, and it's beautiful. And the wonderful thing is that God's plan is for all of us to come into that relationship. To come into that relationship. And we know that sin got in the way of that, but God said, don't worry. I'm sending someone who will redeem all of you and bring you back on track to my plan to enjoy this relationship with me. 
This love is all-consuming. You know, God loves all of you. All of you. Every single bit. Even the bits you don't want to think about. God loves you entirely, utterly. Every molecule, every fibre of you, he loves you. And because he loves you in your totality, because he loves all of you, he wants all of you. And he claims all of you. In other words, his love is all-consuming. It's not to be trifled with. It's not to be dabbled with. It's not to be for some days, not others. It's all or nothing with God. That's what the love of God is like. It's passionate. It's intensive. That's God's love. And that's what he's brought us into. And loving God comes before loving anyone or anyone else in this world. You know, some people will struggle with that thought. Some people where you love your family, you love your children, you think, how can I love God more than? But actually, Jesus said, the whole sum of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And the thing is, if you don't love God first, your love for your neighbor or for your family or for your friends or whatever will be imperfect. It'll be a shadow or a copy of God's love. It's God's love that has to come first. In other words, we have to come into this glorious trinity, this wonderful relationship, and let that fill us before we can love as we were meant to love anyone else around us. But here's the thing. Whether God's love has come into us or not, the litmus test for that is whether we love others. So loving others comes secondary to loving God, but loving others is the proof that you do love God. And the reason why is because when God's love comes in, it's like a flood, it's like a river, and it fills you completely. You're not enough to contain the love of God, so it overflows from out of us. And inevitably, it will manifest itself in love for one another. If we're lacking love for others, it's because we are not experiencing the love of God before others. This is really important because in all of my years as part of the body of Christ and in pastoring people, one of the biggest problems I have observed is where people have trouble with others in the body, but the root of the problem is that they don't realize how much they're loved. It's always, it's never really about that relationship, it's always about that relationship. The more we receive and accept and have a revelation of the love of God in our lives, the more we realize how much we were redeemed, how much God has forgiven in our lives, and that gives us a grace and a love to be able to forgive others. And that's why when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says at the end of chapter 4, he says, forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. What he's saying is, what's your motivation here? You need to have a revelation of how much you've been forgiven And you know what? When you've had that revelation, it becomes surprisingly easy to let other people off. It really does. Those things that were niggling or offending you, suddenly they seem quite small. When God says, look at this. This is what you were like. When you were dead in your sins, I came and loved you and embraced you. And it humbles you. And that's the love of God. It's the love of God that will always manifest itself. And the love of God manifests itself whatever the cost. Now that's evidenced, isn't it? By what God has done. Sending the Son, the Son accepting his mission, embracing us. Whatever the cost. 
And actually, this word that Paul uses, the labor of love, this word labor, it's another Greek word, kopos, which means intense labor, toil, or effort. Now, we could be forgiven for thinking, hang on a minute, I thought we were supposed to be in a rest of faith. We're not supposed to be working. Isn't this supposed to be in the rest of God? Well, it is in the rest of God for our salvation. But what comes next can feel like a toil because love comes at a cost. Love is giving away of ourselves just as God gave away of himself. And therefore, it will manifest itself in a cost because it will embrace things that are not easy to embrace. It'll embrace others at a time when they're not very embraceable. That's the love of God. There's a great song um, by Corrie Asbury, um, which is called Reckless Love. Now, I'm not going to get started on that title. I have my issues with it, but now's not the time. But what I do love is the sentiment, because he's talking about the extravagant love of God. And in the chorus, he says this. I wrote down the words. He says, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. And it's a picture of this God that will do anything to come and rescue you. He'll leave the 99 to come and get you because this love is intensive, it's passionate, it's unrelenting, it won't let you go, it will follow you every day of your life. That's the love of God. And that's the love he wants to fill us with so that we love others as passionately and as intensively as that, that we won't let others go because we're filled with the same passion and intensity. Now, don't worry. If you don't feel that passionate and intense yet, it's okay. There's still time. We are a work in progress, but I'm showing you what God has for you. We're looking together at what God wants to do in us. He wants to fill us with that love. And my prayer every day is always to the Lord, I need you to fill me with that love. I feel lacking in that love. Fill me, Lord, till I'm overflowing in that love. Let's just talk briefly about hope. Uh, Richard Jones gave us a great definition at the beginning of our series. He says, hope is a confident expectation of a future outcome. A confident expectation of a future outcome. I want to read this quote to you. This is from a a chap called Robert Haldane, who was a 19th century um, theologian. He says this, faith relies on what the truth Sorry, faith relies on the truth of what God has promised and hope expects the enjoyment of it. Faith relies on the truth of what was promised, but hope expects the enjoyment of it. There's a confident expectation. There's a joyful expectation. That's that's godly hope. And it's confident because there is a fixed and unchangeable outcome. One of the things that we looked at early on in looking at reasons for the hope that we have is that our hope is eternally established. When something's established in eternity, it's, for all intents and purposes, it's already happened. It's already happened. It cannot be changed now. It's fixed. It's happened. And that's how reliable and fixed and safe our hope is. It's a fixed outcome, eternally established. 
and it's promised by God. So if you just go with me to Hebrews chapter 6. This is another uh, great little bit on faith. Talking about the certainty of God's promise and the writer's talking about Abraham. And it says in verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, this is uh, Abraham's heirs, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. And what the writer is saying is God has promised and he's guaranteed our promise, our hope, by two things. Number one, he's taken an oath. When God takes an oath, it's unbreakable because God cannot lie. Cannot and will not ever lie. So when he takes an oath, it's as good as done. God took an oath regarding us. We're the heirs of Abraham. But also, he said, the second thing is his unchangeable purpose. So God's purposes are unchangeable. It didn't matter what we did to mess things up. It didn't matter what the devil did at the beginning to mess things up. It doesn't matter what every single person that's come along racked with sin and the effects of sin does to mess things up. God says, I'll still have my way because I'm God. I can do it. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life to mess up God's purposes, God will get you there. God will make you get to the end. God will drag you, if he needs to, across the finish line at the end. That's his promise. Sometimes I feel like I need dragging across the finish line. We have this unbreakable hope. And the the other thing about hope is that it cannot be something that's feasible. So in in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the hope that we have, the future hope that we have. And he says, who hopes for what he can see? Hope that is seen is not hope, he says. So in other words, when we're talking about hope, we're not talking about things that we can see that look likely or probable. We're talking about things that are improbable. Things that in the natural scheme of things probably won't happen. That's the hope that we have. And because we have faith, we can see that. We can see the unseen See the things that are not possible, we can see the impossible through faith. And that hope is founded upon the work and person of Christ Jesus. One of the things that Roger said to us at Momentum was, natural hope is hoping in things, things, events or outcomes that will happen in future. But biblical hope is based on an eternal thing, and that eternal thing is the work and person of Christ Jesus. It's the fact that he's gone before us in beyond the curtain. It's the fact that he's already got there, and because he's got there, we're going to get there. That's the guarantee. Because he's made it, we're going to get there. We're guaranteed to get there. And his ultimate purpose is not only to get us to where he is, but to shape us and mould us and make us like he is. 
So you say, well, what is biblical hope then? Let me define it for you more clearly. Biblical hope is the hope of your future resurrection, which God has promised you, and his inheritance, the inheritance of Christ Jesus, becoming ours. And part of that is him shaping us to become and to grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ. Individually and together. So that each one of us will grow into the full stature of Christ in the personality that we have, in the person that we are. But then when we get all together, when someone stands back, they see all of these mini pictures of Christ, there's one big picture of Christ. And that's our future destiny. That is our hope. That is what's fixed and eternal. And that is what we have to set our eyes on, not the changeable things in this life. So we have faith that works We have love that labours and we have hope that endures. Hope that endures. What I'd like to do to try and make this as practical as possible is to do a little visual demonstration. So I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm hoping it makes some sense. In my head, perfect sense. Uh, We shall see. So I'm going to need a few volunteers for this because I'm going to need someone to represent us He's now starting to look around for likely uh, candidates. Everyone's heads down. I need someone to represent us. And I need someone to represent faith, hope, and love. And then what I'd like to do now is look at the relationship between the three. And then look at the interaction between the three. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, right. I've got my eyes on you, Pete, because I know you're up for anything. (laughs) So if I could have you up, please. Uh, Could I have some ladies? Could we have some volunteer ladies? That would be good. Janet, fabulous. Thank you. So, hope. I need someone that's quite sturdy. So, Pete, I think that's going to be you. Today, mate, that's you. So, I need you there. You're going to be hope. Okay? So, Janet, I I think, I'm not being biased here, but I think Janet could be love. Oh, yeah. Do we think? Do we think? Right. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Greg, I'm going to pick on you for faith. And then I'm looking... Anyone else? Keen? <laughs> I'm not seeing Izzy's hand go up, but here she is. <laughs> Yay! Come on, Izzy. Right, let me just... Right, OK, yeah. Let's get on with it. So... I just have one prop, that's it. So Izzy, if I could just have you here first, please. So you, Izzy, are representing all of us. Okay, cool. So this is you, okay? No pressure. This is you. And who was Faith? That was you, Greg, yeah. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to need that in a second, okay. So what we need to do is establish, essentially, the relationships here. So if you, if you could face that way, that's okay, Izzy, that's great. Now, Faith... We know that faith comes, and um, when faith comes, the first thing that happens is God's love gives birth to faith. So actually, (laughs) okay, maybe I didn't think this through. (laughs) What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a scripture, so just go with me to Romans 5. So we've got another one of these scriptures where Paul is talking about these three elements And he starts to describe the relationship. You all guys okay to stand for a minute? Yeah, great. 
Um, he starts to describe the relationship between these three. And, and what we're going to do is try and enact this a little bit, if you like. So Romans 5, verses 1 to 5, that's where we're reading. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Some versions say we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's an awful lot in five verses there, isn't there? You just have to read this over and over again because Paul is describing basically the whole of your life there in five verses, again and again and again, the things that we will face. And the work of faith, the labour of love, and the endurance of hope, and why these things work together and how they are to be real in our lives as we grow as believers together. Now, the first thing that's mentioned is faith, but I know when we read Ephesians 2 that Paul talks there about how God, rich in his mercy, because of his love... He raised us up while we were dead in our sins, seated us um, by Christ. And then he says, and this isn't um, a work of your own, but it's faith that I have given you. In other words, it's the love of God. So can we have love? Here's love. Round of applause for love. There you go. Yeah. And it's huge. Never thought I'd say that. So, (laughs) so, So love in God's heart, motivates God in his mercy. But what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 is that God then uses faith, so he gives us faith. The initial faith that we had, our saving faith, was not ours in the first place. God gave it to us. So love will now give faith to Izzy. So just a gentle push in that direction. There we go. Thank you. Thanks, love. You can stand back now. And what happens next? So Love, give, love gives birth to faith, but faith gives birth to hope. And what faith does is, it gives us one of these. This is an attachment. This is a cord, a cord of three strands, as it, as it happens. And this attaches us. So if you could give that end to Izzy, and then take that end to Hope, who's waiting, a bit further away. We need some tensile some tautness on the rope. There we go. There we go. You're going to need more than one hand in a minute, but just to, just to give you the heads up. <laughs> this is not a tug of war or anything, just to be fair. Can you just move that way a little bit? It's just messing with my... There we go. Thank you. So anyway, nice and parallel. That's how we like it. Hope is the anchor point for faith. So if you could go and stand with Izzy... Faith doesn't leave us. Faith is not transactional. It doesn't just come along once and establish this and then leaves us. Faith is relational. Faith is constant. Faith is there and growing in Izzy's life. What faith does is it enables Izzy to see the hope, which is the work and person of Christ, our forerunner who's gone ahead of us, and the promise that we will join him, that we'll be of full stature, and that we have a future resurrection. And this is what we're attached to, folks. This is the thing. 
There are other things in our lives here that are outcomes. The rope cannot be attached to these outcomes. We know why, don't we? Because these outcomes will change. And these outcomes sometimes are not what we expected them to be. Remember what Ben shared with us this morning? This is the outcome I expected, and then it didn't happen, and I thought, I've lost everything. And then God says, no, no, actually, I've done this for you. Oh, that's even better. But Ben wasn't attached to the outcome. He was attached to God. He was attached to his future hope. And the promise that that, this means I'm for you. So whatever happens here, I am saying I'm for you. And hope is constantly saying I am for you. And in actual fact, the Apostle Peter says that we have a living hope. A living hope because it's a person. And when I read that, I thought, actually, not only we've got this rope here, but living hope is pulling on the rope. So living hope is pulling Izzy in this direction. Izzy's pulling and hope is pulling. And that's keeping the rope taut. Okay, so next thing. So hope is the anchor point for faith. In Galatians 5, Paul tells us that faith enables us to eagerly await hope. So faith will help Izzy to pull on that rope, to eagerly await something. It's the same description of Abraham where he patiently waited for the promise that God had got for him. It didn't mean he was passive. It means he was actively pulling on the rope. But faith was enabling him to do that without getting impatient with God. Who's been there? (laughs) Okay, I'm sure we all have. We get impatient with God for things. But faith helps us despite the fact it's not come yet, to keep the tension on the rope, which is really important for us. But here's the thing about faith. Paul says in the next verse, Galatians 5 verse 6, he says that faith has to work through love. So enter love again. Okay, right. So faith needs love to work in us to take hold of hope. And the reason why is because love, I'll just bring you around here, Janet, Love is telling us not just what to see, what faith is telling us. Love is telling us why God has done everything, how he feels about Izzy. And what we've just read in these first few verses in Romans is that actually things get pretty tough. There's disappointments. There's challenges in this life. And what happens with that is if our faith is transactional, Because the transaction doesn't seem to be happening, if you just let that go slack, the rope goes slack. And we start to lose direction. We start to wander away. You know, and and there are lots of people in this room who have felt like that at times. When you feel like you're drifting, you feel like, I don't know where God is in all of this. I I don't even know how I feel about his promises anymore. We can get that low. This is where love comes in. You see, love comes in and says, I know you don't feel it right now. I know you've lost sight of hope. But this is how I feel about you. I love you. I'm for you. I've done all of these things for you. I'm not going to let you down now. And even though things have not worked out how you expected them to work out, what I want you to do is to look at me. To look at me again. And faith helps, sorry, love helps faith to arise again. And that means we can pull tight on the rope and pull tight on the rope now sometimes what happens is if I can just ask you this if you can sit on your bottom sometimes we get knocked on our backside don't we 
Now, because we have this living hope, this is your moment, Pete, what happens is faith and hope help us keep the, the rope taut, but we really do feel immobilized. We really do feel like, I ain't got much in the tank right now. And that's when our living hope pulls us to our feet, like that, and pulls us upright again. And if I can just come back to Romans 5, this is what Paul's talking about. So just stay there, everyone. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And then, hope does not put us to shame. You know, this is the same literary device that Paul used in Romans 1, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a device called litotes. And it means to, stay, to negate the opposite of something, to affirm something by negating its opposite. I know that's a whole bunch of words. But it's like we read in Psalm 34. He won't let me be put to shame. Well, why would you mention shame? Because it's not saying God just won't let me put to shame. He's totally for me. And when it says hope does not put us to shame, it actually means it does more than that. It's not that it won't shame us. It's the opposite of that. Hope will actually put us back on our feet again. When we're down and we feel like we're out, we have faith and love working in us, but hope is the thing that says, come on, and it pulls us and puts us back on our feet again. When we feel like we haven't got anything left in the tank, God is there for us. And this is the cycle that God is talking about, that that Paul is talking about, what God is talking about. This is the cycle in our lives that we go through this. And what we have to, all of us understand is, there's an interaction of these three things. These, this is why these are the three greatest things. This is why they abide, because they need to be in our lives every day, in some form or another, that we'll be interacting in these ways. And faith and hope and love need each other. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for that. So love comes alongside us, it reassures us, it reestablishes our hope. Hope pulls us back to our feet. And faith, as it grows, enables us to see things that are unlikely and improbable and helps us to see clearly beyond all the fog, all the noise, and just to fix our eyes upon him. You know, the the writer C.S. Lewis talked about something called the law of undulation. And the law of undulation was an observation of our Christian walk that often when we first come to him he seems to be very close all the time and then after a while the Lord at certain times seems to withdraw from us and the Christian can feel quite puzzled about that it was great I was in I was in absolute you know joy every day and then suddenly the Lord doesn't seem so close but what's happening is he's withdrawing sometimes in order that we have to pull a bit harder on the rope in order that we have to engage with love and let love fill us all the more in order that we have to work with faith and work at faith so that we see clearly but we don't just see clearly we see through all of the rubbish and the stuff that's in between all of the stuff that's in our face trying to tell us and lie to us that God isn't faithful he's not quite what he said he is and he didn't probably pick you anyway and actually you're probably going to mess things up but love says that's a lie there's no lie he won't tear down to get to us. So this law of undulation, it works in our lives, folks. And we have to engage with faith, hope, and love. And we will see 
our relationship with him grow. Father, I just want to thank you for each of these wonderful, wonderful things. The faith that you've put in our hearts, Lord. The love that you've filled our hearts with, Lord, to overflowing. Lord, and the hope which is unmovable. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you will root us in this love. My prayer, Lord, is that you will strengthen us in our faith, Lord. That you will fortify us in our hope, Lord. Lord, I pray that our faith will be relational, Lord. That it will never be transactional, Lord. But it will be as easy as breathing for us, Lord. And it will grow in our trustful rest in you. That, our, that your love would be foundation in our lives, Lord. Always, that we'd be rooted in it. And Lord, that our hope would remain visible and immovable, Lord. That's our prayer this morning, Lord God. And we just thank you that you're at work in our lives and you will bring all things to conclusion, Lord. You will bring all things together for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.